welcome to the first episode of SMU Spartans. In this MOOC Conversations YouTube channel series, we look forward to welcoming SMU alumni. This is your host, Venkat. And in this edition, I talk to Nadir Zafar, an alumnus of the very first batch of SMU. There were just 300 of them in a new university, which had opened its doors in 2000. They had to take on the world. They had to establish themselves and create the best first impression in the marketplace for themselves and for the batches that would follow them. Full disclosure, I joined SMU in 2006 and was a full-time employee for about 10 years become, before becoming a adjunct faculty there. But this is my personal channel and opinions expressed here do not represent SMUs or those of the organizations that the guests may work for. There was something distinct about the SMU's first few batches of pioneering students. I've heard of old timers in SMU often talk about that. I've had the opportunity to get to know some of these pioneers from 2004, from the class of 2004 onwards, even before they graduated, even before I joined the university. In this series, we will try to catch up with some of the SMU pioneering students and talk to them about their experiences. If you are from one of the early batches of SMU, reach out to me via LinkedIn, via Twitter, or maybe even via my guest if they have no objection to it. Welcome to the show, Nadir. Thank Great you. to have you back in Singapore. Thank you, Venkat. It's a pleasure to be here, and I, I thank you for that very kind introduction. So please uh, briefly tell our listeners and the viewers what you do now and in the last couple of uh, career roles you have had, what have you done? We'll go into the details later, of course. Sure, with pleasure. My name is Nader Zafar and I wear many hats in the education space. I, I would consider myself an education change agent. Uh, first and foremost, the hat that I wear at the very top is as a father and educator to my own three kids. My kids are all um, very young. Two of them are in preschool and one of them is still a baby. Mm -hmm. So that's one hat Great. I have in the education space. The other hat is as a senior leader in the education technology space, where most okay. recently I was the chief operating officer at an ed tech company based out of the UAE. And our focus was to disrupt the kindergarten to grade 12 space. The third hat I wear is, is as a edtech entrepreneur, where I'm building a platform to enable business practitioners to teach and share their life wisdom with other business practitioners on a platform that I've called Real School. The fourth hat that I wear in the education space is, well, I'm actually now doing my Doctor of Education at the New York University and um, so these are the, the few things that I do within the education space currently. Great. How did you decide to study at SMU? Oh, that's a good question. You know, as much as I'm such a lover of SMU, it'll probably surprise you to know that SMU right. was not my first choice. Okay. And, <laughs> and the story is because back in 1998, when I graduated from my 
uh, my junior college, there was no SMU. So I didn't even have the option of SMU uh, at the time. So what I did is I applied to National University of Singapore. I got accepted. And then I went on to serve my national service. And the following year, 1999, again, there was no SMU. And, you know, I still had the admission to National University of Singapore. You know, everything was set for me to become an engineer. Uh, that's the faculty in which I had uh, selected. Okay. And then in the year 2000, from nowhere comes this big, bold advertising, SMU. And I thought, that's <laughs> intriguing. And so I decided to look into it. And what I read and what I found out made me really realize that this was the university that I wanted to be part of. And okay. I went to the talks. And at the time, I remember they mentioned the Wharton connection. Um, to be honest, at that time, I wasn't that familiar with what Wharton was or how prestigious a uh, business school this was. But what really intrigued me and impressed me was the eloquence of the speakers, the articulation of the vision of the university. And one thing stood out. They said, we will make sure everyone who goes through the school will have the tools to be a global business leader. And I said, that's what I want to be. And so okay. I signed up to SMU, right. um, along with a couple of my very close friends. We all got in. And mm -hmm. I was the only one among my group of friends who actually took on the offer and joined the university. I remember my friends, my very close friends, they told me, you know, Nader, when you graduate from an unknown university, your job prospects might be affected. You may not get a great salary. No one's heard of this university. We suggest you follow us to <laughs> NUS or NTU. And I remember saying, no, this is my university. And there were three things that they said at the talk. And I remember okay. this, it's been 20 plus years. Right. Three things that they said that stood out for me. Number one, they said, we are going to choose people differently. We are going to make every student interview for a place mm -hmm. at this university. And that, by the way, was very different from what NUS and NTU did. And I felt that made people feel more special, that they actually right. took an effort to meet and learn more about people before they accepted them. The second thing which they said at the talk um, was that the process within SMU, the experience would be vastly different from NUS and NTU. Here, it'll be interactive, group work, team projects. Um, and interestingly, majority of the grades will come from group work rather than individual effort. I thought that was really cool. And the third thing they said is that when you graduate as an alumni, you're gonna be part of a pioneer alumni and that's gonna make you very special. And so for these three things that they told us back, way back at the talks, uh, at the SMU talks, uh, info, info session talks, I, I still remember and I said, this is the place for me. And so that's right. what I did, I signed up to this university. Wonderful. And, and uh, at that time, um, you know, the extension of what you said meant that like, you know, SMU started with seminar style teaching, right? Even the classrooms were seminar style, it was not uh, um, lecture theaters. Um, so how interactive was it then? And was it good for you? How was the sort of in-class learning in SMU at that time? I think the in-class learning was unlike anything I had ever experienced. I had been through some of the best schools in Singapore from kindergarten to grade 12. And I thought, I thought I had been through the best. 
I thought mm -hmm. I was super educated. I thought, you know, this is what an education, a, a good education looks like. And this is what I thought. Mm -hmm. Until then I joined SMU and I found out what really is a good education. Because a good education is not just rote learning. It's not just memorize and cramming for the examination. It's not just piling on books after books after book and just reading and memorizing and all that stuff. It's not. A good education is about your social skills, about your communication, negotiation, persuasion, ability to present, ability to work with people. These are very important tools that one must have to succeed in life. And this is what SMU offered in their type of teaching, in the style of teaching. We valued one another's contribution. It wasn't just the teacher at the center of the stage who will dispel knowledge to us. It was us right. learning from one another, learning from our classmates, learning from you know, you know, the teacher as well. But it, it was a great environment. Uh, and I thrived in such an environment because I love to participate. I like to contribute. I like to listen as well and understand other points of view and challenge them and debate. Right. Um, right. So it, it was <laughs> Knowing you, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I, I love it. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, many, you know, when many... you and I have chatted, sorry, when you and I have chatted in the past, you have talked about learning you had um, outside the SMU classroom too, you know, facilitated by SMU. So tell us about that. I think learning outside the classroom was probably the most important thing I had done at SMU. Um, there is so much to learn from so many different way, different things. One of the key things I wanted to learn was leadership. Remember at the beginning I said, what sold me to SMU was the global business leader slogan that right. said, we will make you a global business leader. Now you can't be a leader unless you try, unless you practice. And if you Correct. learn from your failure, if you learn from your experiences, you get better at leadership. And so I took on a lot of leadership activities, poured my energy into starting up things for the university, poured my energy into starting initiatives and activities, which I found so much more interesting uh, than, you know, reading the textbooks in the classroom. And, and so one of the other things I did is I said, in order to be a leader, I thought one has to actually go outside and see the world because right. what you see in this, you know, country is not a, enough, not enough to be a global leader. To be global, you need to think global. And so I took on every opportunity at SMU, every opportunity, <laughs> every opportunity to go overseas, whether it was an overseas internship, whether it was an exchange program, whether it was a business study mission. And right. one of them was even um, a ship program. They put us on a ship to sail around Asia. It was called right. the Ship of Southeast Asian Youth Program. And this, this was fascinating. I learned so right. much. So, so which all countries did you visit in the uh, Southeast Asia ship tour? Was it one of those things? There's one Japanese company we, which you used to organize that. Was that the one? Yes, it's organized by the Japanese government. It's called the Ship okay. for Southeast Asian Youth Program. And it's an right. initiative by the Japanese government to promote goodwill and friendship amongst the Southeast Asian nations. So they right. put 300 young people from all over Southeast Asia and Japan on a ship, a cruise ship. <laughs> and they sail us from one place to another place to another place, all the while learning about culture, learning about one True. another, um, brilliant experience. I had to actually skip an entire term at SMU just to do this, but I was more than happy to do it. And the University was very supportive and they said, no problem. 
Go ahead. So which were the ports, which were the countries that you visit? We went to Japan. And then from Japan, we sailed over to uh, the Philippines. And from the Philippines, we sailed over to Brunei. And unfortunately, in Brunei, uh, there was an accident which uh, led to the conclusion of the program. And so we went back to Singapore. Um, Otherwise, we would have gone on to Vietnam and Indonesia as well. Right. And, uh, uh, you know, SMU had at the time and still has compulsory internship for all the students. How was your internship experience? You know, my first internship that I, um, I got accepted at SMU was to a large MNC. Mm-hmm. I, I remember I went for the interview and at the interview, the, 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 the person, the hiring manager said, look, what's your uh, salary expectation or internship uh, experience? And I said, you know, I, I gave him a number. One week later, when they gave, and, and, and at the interview, he said, you know, that, that's perfectly fine. That's within the amount we pay for interns, no problem. One week later, they gave me the offer with a lower amount. And I thought to myself, that, that's, that's not right. <laughs> so I actually rejected that just on the principle that they did not pay what they said they would or what they suggested was okay to be paid. I rejected that and I took on another internship, which turned out to be a blessing because the internship I ended up with was with a company called ST Logistics. Okay. And ST Logistics based in Singapore is a pure logistics, you know, warehouse operator. And I remember being placed in the um, HR department and I reported to the head of HR and strategy for ST Logistics, an amazing guy whom I'm still in touch with today. He's now the chief HR officer of a large listed company in Singapore. But let me get back to the internship. Mm -hmm. I remember um, he said, look, we need to instill new values for the people of our company. We need to let them know about these new values that we've come up with. We need to do it in a creative way because most of the people are blue collar workers. They're not going to want to listen or or read like, you know, (laughs) sheets of paper or see it on the screen because they don't, they will not live it. They will not believe in it. So we came up with a really creative idea. I actually acted it out. Myself and my colleagues in the HR department, we acted out the values that we wanted people to demonstrate at the company. We went from place to place, warehouse to warehouse, office to office, because ST Logistics has many different um, locations around Singapore. This is what we did. Um, At the conclusion of the internship, uh, SMU gave a letter or a questionnaire to my boss and said, you know, what do you rank uh, the intern as on these different capabilities. And I remember uh, thinking, yes, I thought I had done well, but when I saw what he had written, I was blown away. He had given me the perfect score for everything. And he had written <laughs> such nice testimonial that I still have that letter even today after 20 years. <laughs> and I, I, I had a great experience. And this same company, ST Logistics, I went back to them the next year and I said, look, I. I want to do another internship, but this time outside of Singapore. And they said, sure, we know you, we like you, you did a great job last year. So they put me in Thailand for the following year. I worked in ST Logistics in Thailand uh, for a couple of months. So those were the two internship experiences I had at SMU, which I learned so much from, and they were invaluable lessons for me. So, so you, you, you briefly mentioned, uh, but just wanted you to elaborate on that. You know, if you look at it in, in, in year 2000, uh, in a new university, the first batch of students um, had to be involved in setting up the clubs, associations, and even the student council, right? So 
uh, and did, you did mention that you took up those opportunities and so on. Uh, just a few minutes back, you mentioned that. So what was it like doing these things in those days? I think this goes back to your earlier question as well about what I learned outside the classroom. So this is where True. one of my richest learning experiences was, really in getting involved with setting up clubs and associations. And I'll tell you, even before SMU started, this is in June 2000, even before we had the first class, I was already active. On, at that time, we used a forum called Yahoo Groups. Right. I sent a message on Yahoo Groups and I got a bunch of people to, basically we had our first informal SMU party at my house. Before right. school even started, it was a potluck. People just came and they, you know, we got to know one another. And it was at that time that I decided to start my first association. Again, even before school started, I loved acting. I love business. So I started something called showbiz. Mm -hmm. Showbiz was a marriage between drama and business. And I got a few people together who had shared the same ideals, the same passions, shared the same passions as me. And we, we um, started showbiz um, and, and, and we were all set to start doing more activities when schools actually started. I remember for showbiz, um, we had a day where we were promoting our clubs to everyone at the university. It was um, a club promotion day. And we managed to get two very famous actors in Singapore to come and actually promote showbiz for us. One of them, a guy called Keegan Kang. Uh, mm -hmm. At that time, he acted in, a, I think, a play called Teenage Textbook. And there was another guy, um, I think his name was Mohan. Um, okay. But the two of them came and they promoted showbiz and it was, we, we, we attracted a lot of attention. So that was showbiz. And through showbiz, I got to meet somebody who was interested in starting, um, or, or, or rather someone who was interested in throwing a party, an official party for the university, mm -hmm. for the schools and the students. And so together with him, we teamed up to organize the very first SMU official students event. One week after school started, it was called the Beach Bash 2000, and it was held on a beach in Changi. And we managed to get a lot of people from the school to come, the faculty, the staff, the students. Uh, it was a very successful event. And, and, then, and then came elections for the Students' Association. Now for the Students' Association, I ran uh, together with a guy called Farhan. And him and I, we have a lot of things in common. He's a great, fantastic guy. And I remember most of the other people campaigning for the Students' Association were campaigning on issues of, you know, all sorts of things. But him and I, we said, let's just give out smiley faces. So I remember <laughs> Farhan and I, we spent hours basically drawing um, on these yellow stickers two dots and a smile and, and, a, and a so we basically what we did for our campaign was just give out smiley stickers around the entire school and say look all we're here to do is provide a smile in your face we're here to help you help and serve you and that's why we want to be in the students association now farhan and i were one of the uh, when when the voting came in we were one of the more higher um highly voted Perfect. people in the students association Perfect. now with success came a bit of um uh, i guess a failure well not really failure but um, a negative as well. So after being accepted into the Students Association, I was told that you cannot run the showbiz. You can't be the president of showbiz because you're now in the Students Association. So I had to give up showbiz and it went on to somebody else who, um, who also had applied uh, a run for the association, but he didn't get into the Students Association. So anyway, anyway, he ended up running showbiz. I think they changed the name as well soon after that, which is quite sad, but... <laughs> You know, I, I was fine because now I was in the Students Association right. and I was, I was, I was um, elected as the business manager. Now, what is a business manager? No clue. 
but there was one sentence on the constitution that said the business manager is the de facto chairman of the business committee. And I said, that sounds, uh, you know, business committee sounds rather uh, boring and official. So I actually changed the name to BizCom. Remember, this is the year 2000. And back right. in the year 2000, it was all about the dot-com craze. And so I thought, okay, I'm gonna do something pretty cool. I'm gonna call it BizCom. So I became the chairman of the BizCom. And, you know, the way I was back then is I said, I'm gonna make BizCom bigger than the Students Association. And so I, I went about uh, getting as many people as I could to help be part of the business committee. And our job was very simple, raise money for student activities. That's it. And so I got a whole bunch of people helping me on the cause, not just getting benefits um, for the student activities, uh, not just getting um, funds for the student activities, but also getting like discounts at restaurants and and, and, and that was a big learning experience for me because just imagine, I would go out to banks and I still remember one banker telling me, he's like, why should I give you, uh, what, five, ten thousand $10,000? I can give the same money to NUS and they have 10,000 people. I give it to you, you have 300. My return on investment, not so good. I still remember this guy because I negotiated and I persisted and I persuaded him to finally give us the money because I told him, you're going to put your imprint at the very beginning of this school's history. Imagine when we get bigger, imagine that you've already got yourselves implanted here. Think about the future. So I sold them on the ambition, the future, the vision. We got the money. We, we got the money. And uh, I, I learned so much. Now, another learning point from the business committee or the BizCom, I had a bunch of people. And at that time, remember, I was still learning about leadership. And they didn't like me. And so they went to complain about me to the dean. I remember the dean of students. And he heard from them. And then he called me in one-on-one -on -one, and he heard from me. And he said, you know what? I'll let you deal with this yourself. And I'm glad he did because I managed to really learn so much through that experience of dealing with a group of people within the BizCom who for some reason or the other, I, I was very hard on because I didn't feel that they were living up to the expectations that I had, the, the standards I had. I had. And, and so it was a great learning experience. And, and that was BizCom. That opportunity gave you, you know, that sorry, that that uh, interaction gave you an opportunity to understand them and their sides and so on. I guess, I guess, both sides stayed on and contributed to the growth of this comp, right? Absolutely. I mean, it was a tricky relationship. I'll be very honest, um, but I have the highest respect for all of them, and yep. all of them, I think, are doing very well today. Um, no hard feelings from all those years back. Um, but it was a learning experience for me, and that's what I loved about it. On the other hand, I had some people in the BizCom whom I worked very closely with, and one of them remains my best friend till today. Uh, and, and this is a man I learned so much from. And I'll give you just one example. So while I would be persuading people, companies to give us money, the way he did it, he showed it to me in one swift move and it blew my mind away. He said, Nader, I'm going out for dinner tomorrow. Come with me. I said, sure. Uh, who's the dinner with? Uh, it's a guy called Nicholas, uh, Nicholas Pilar. And so I'm like, sure, I go for dinner. Now, Nicholas Pilar's father at that time was the CEO of DBS Bank, Philip Pilar. And over <laughs> dinner, my friend, uh, me and Nicholas were chatting and he, you know, and he just asked Nicholas straight up, Nicholas, we're having a guitar event. We need $5,000. Can you ask your father? <laughs> and right there and then, is where I learned that this is how you really do business. It's about the connections. We got 
we got the money for that guitar event. I think it was called SMU Guitarismo. $5,000 given by DBS Bank to fund this event. Small guitar event. This is what I learned. I, I learned that through BizCom. I mean, there's so many ways to get things done, but there's better ways. Um, I'll, I'll give you another story. So this is BizCom. Um, I, I think I mentioned Showbiz, right, Students right. Association, BizCom. There was another association that I was very active in, and that was Debate. And Debate was a friend of mine, Tarish. He was the person who founded Debate. And he said to me, look, um, we need help. Uh, uh, can you be our vice president? I said, sure. And through debate, him and I and another person, um, three of us, we ran the association. We took part in overseas competitions as debaters. Um, I captained the team at some of these events. So that leadership experience is something I really gained through the you know, things that I was doing. I even won a public speaking a competition in Singapore. And remember, I was never that great at all these things, but by doing this, putting myself out there, making myself vulnerable to failure, to, to learning, I, I, I achieved what I wanted to achieve. And, and so that was the debating society. But going back a little bit, there was another, another association that um, at that time, the Dean of Students, Prof. Loic Ming, came to me and said, look, yeah. brother, um, there is this international student organization. It's called Isaac. Right, right. At the time, I had never heard of Isaac. In fact, I had a classmate called David Isaac, a lovely guy. And that was the Isaac I knew. And, and so anyway, Prof. Lo said, look, I, I need you to help start Isaac in SMU because I think it's something that this university needs. They have it at NUS. They have it at NTU. They don't have it here. He said, they're going to have a camp, an Isaac camp at um, NUS. Go for it and, and bring along some of your, your colleagues, your classmates, so that they can also help to understand what Isaac's about. So I, I remember I took two really amazing people from SMU, both my juniors, one girl called Teresa, really cheerful, bubbly, active, very, you know, go-getter sort of person. And the other guy, a guy called Michael, more laid back, relaxed, chill. He had, a, I think, a supermodel girlfriend, like one head taller than him. So that was Michael. He was a very cool guy. So Michael, Teresa, myself, and we needed one more person. So Teresa asked his sister to join us. Four of us took part in the Isaac camp at NUS. And believe me, by the end of that program, everyone knew SMU. Everyone knew us. We were the most outspoken, the most rambunctious, noisy, and crazy participants of the Isaac camp. And, and so we made an impression. And I remember um, after this camp, uh, you know, the natural thing for me to do would be to run it and basically start Isaac in SMU. But at that time, I was also with debate. And so I told Theresa, I said, Theresa, look, um, can you please do this? And she took on that job with great passion. And she started Isaac at SMU, um, which I believe is still there. And I'm yeah. super, super glad for it because it's such an amazing organization, Isaac. There's right. one more organization. Again, I'm sure. so sorry. There's so many uh, organizations. Yeah. That been, but there's one more, which I'd I love to hear that. <laughs> so... This, this organization, it's the environmental organization, and that started actually um, as a result of a, a leadership and team building, a project that I was working on right. with my classmates. So most people in a leadership team building class, um, when asked to do a voluntary or social project, most people would you know, help the elderly or help the needy or help the young uh, kids or orphans. And, and, and all these are very, very good activities and, and very noble causes. My group decided to raise money for an orangutan, a monkey. We said, that's a good cause. The Singapore Zoo is looking for funds. 
at that time, Ameng, uh, Singapore's number one orangutan, had just given birth to a little baby and they <laughs> hadn't found a name for the baby and they needed some funds to support the baby. So our group, our leadership team building group, actually put all of our energy into raising funds for a monkey, for wildlife, for environment. And it was through this process of doing this that the idea of an environmental organization in SMU came about. Now, we had a lot of fun doing what we did. We finally raised the money. Um, and just to digress a little bit, uh, one of the ways we raised the money was to organize an event at Zook. Now, Zook <laughs> is Singapore's premier yeah. nightlife operator. Um, right. I remember going to their marketing manager and I said to her, Grace, uh, at that time, Grace, I said, Grace, give us your venue for free. We want to have an event. <laughs> Initially, she thought I was crazy. She said, she said, what? You want to organize an event at our venue, which is super popular uh, for free? And then I sold her onto the idea. I said, this is for charity. This is for wildlife. Now, you would never put the zoo and zoo in one place, but I did. We did. I remember we had an event that night. Uh, and the way we did it, as I told her, we'll do this event before your peak hours. So somewhere right. around 6 p.m. to around Happy 8 Happy hours kind of a thing, right? Exactly. We booked the whole venue. We converted the interior to look like a bit of a zoo. I remember the zoo people came in with uh, a snake or some other animals. And of course, we had to make sure the lighting and everything and the sound was, was not going to affect the animals because we had to make sure the animals were well uh, prepared for such an environment. I remember sure. the event attracted the CEO of the Singapore Zoo, Bernard Harrison. I oh, remember yeah. it attracted several of our board members. It attracted many of our faculty, many of our, our, our classmates. A very successful event where we presented the check to the CEO of the zoo and said, you know, this is for the, for the monkey. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to go back now to the environment club. So at the end of this amazing project, all of us were super happy. And we said, what do we do uh, to continue this great initiative we've started? Because it seems such a shame that all of this is going to be done and, you know, we're done, nothing else. So then the idea of VERTS, V-E-R-T-S, VERTS came out and VERTS, I can't remember why they chose the name. And they said, let's, let's create an environment organization called VERTS. And I was the one who actually emailed the school and said, this is what we want to do. And I remember I did that. And one of my classmates was like, whoa, 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 whoa. before you send the email, let's first come up with the constitution, the plan. The I'm like, no, let's just send the email, <laughs> get the approval, and then we'll think later. Um, so, so we started VERTS. And uh, I wasn't very active, to be very honest. I, again, I was super active at debate. And that's where I spent most of my uh, time with. I was very active with the BizCom, with the Students Association. So obviously I had no time for everything else. Plus I was traveling. I was doing exchange program. I was going on overseas internship. I was just enjoying myself so much to have time for verts. But um, I'm very proud of the fact that I had played some small role in launching it at least. So, so th th this is one of the many uh, different <laughs> activities and initiatives and, and you know, such, such good memories and such great learning experiences. Lovely. Right. And, you know, uh, as all good things come to an end, your, your four years of education at SMU had to come to an end. Tell us about the founding of the Alumni Association when you were graduating in 2004. So in 2004, after graduation, um, you know, it, it dawned upon a few of us that maybe we need to start the Alumni Association. It's not just going <laughs> to appear. And, and we were prepared for this because we had started everything in the last four years. We right. created the school. We had started all the activities, all the associations. 
So when it came to 2004 and it was time to uh, launch the association, I remember uh, a group of us got together and then we had some formal elections. Han is a brilliant, uh, brilliant uh, lady. Um, and she then became the president of the association. Such a great person, full of passion. Like, And I remember a few things about the start of the Alumni Association. One, we spent hours and hours working on the constitution, more hours than I could possibly tolerate. I remember we would go to McDonald's in uh, the YMCA close by uh, um, to the new SMU campus, which we had never experienced by the way. And we would spend hours at that McDonald's just going through every line of the constitution. And I was so fed up. I'd say, guys, does it really matter that every single word is perfect? And my class, my, 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 my colleagues would be like, of course it matters because this is something that's gonna be lasting for many years. And I said, we can always change it as time goes on. And they said, no, it's very difficult to change a constitution in Singapore. You need to go through the approvals. You need to pay money. No, we have to make it right and make it future proof. So anyway. Over many hours of uh, French fries and Coca-Cola and burgers, we've, we, we did that constitution, um, much like, I guess, the American constitution was built. <laughs> I mean, I, I hope the future batches are reading that alumni association constitution and reading it with uh, great passion because, you know, we consumed a lot of French fries to build that for you. And, and so I hope it's still constitution. Unless, unless you have a problem or you have a new idea and you want to know like whether it is allowed or not, who reads the constitution? Come on, Nathan. <laughs> Thank you. This is exactly what I tried to tell my colleagues at the time. So, no, but, 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 but they did the right thing. I mean, I've been an alumni association founder in, in, in my you know, other lives. And so I know that for a fact that, that what they did was definitely right. And what they told you that it is difficult to to amend and then you know you need to have a general body meeting and all the procedures with register of society ROS is not easy. I mean it's pretty organized, but like you know to get everybody to agree on you know changing this to that is not easy. And I think they I would agree with them for the initial effort that they put in. It's it's absolutely awesome. Uh, but but I <laughs> but your expectation that the subsequent batch will read the constitution. I can assure you that only when they are in trouble or they need some clarity as to can we do this thing, then they will go back to the constitution. But but yeah, that's that's how it works, right? And that's the idea of having yeah. a future proof constitution. Yeah. There was and, another story though I want to share about the alumni association. Yeah, yeah. Because back then I remember there was a battle between me and the rest of my my colleagues in the in the alumni association and the I mean, battle was I know I'm even surprised now there. <laughs> no, go I, on. <laughs> I like to push the envelope. I like to push for uh, what I believe is right. And uh, at that time, we had a sort of um, committee um, discussion that resulted in a debate, and it was uh, one that was a battle that was fought for you know some time. And the battle was simply this. As an alumni association, as a fledging alumni association that had just started, my committee members were of the opinion that we needed to spend our energy raising money for the association. Mm -hmm. I, I agreed with that to a point because I said the other thing and the more important thing that we need to do is raise money for the university. Mm -hmm. And we both had our, you know, you know arguments put forward um, it was literally me versus the rest because everyone said, look, this association is nothing unless we first raise money for ourselves. And I said, if you raise money for the university, 
the money will come in from the university to help us because they do will they will not want us to fail and through this conversation through this debate um, an idea came up for the alumni scholarship fund and this is an idea that i really wanted to push forward i said guys let's raise money for the alumni scholarship fund we need to raise two hundred thousand dollars i think at that time there was a one-to-one -one government matching or something to that effect so we needed to raise a hundred thousand dollars i said we can do it let's put all our energy into raising this alumni scholarship fund so that we can support a needy student every year because you know when that two hundred thousand gets put in the bank there's a, i think an interest of six thousand dollars that goes into perpetuity so there was me versus the rest and and Finally, I think it came to the part where they relented and they said, yes, go ahead. And so I became the chairman of the Alumni Scholarship Fund, a role which I took great pride in. And I worked very closely with the alumni office at the time. Uh, there was a guy, a gentleman called um, Rob Schlesinger uh, from the mm -hmm. US. I think he was the head of the alumni, uh, the alumni office. And he had the very same thinking as me. He was like, yes, that's brilliant. What you're doing is incredible. This is what all you, you know, universities in the US do. They raise money for the university. So what you're doing is in the exact right line of thought and so with the support of rob and the rest of the people in the alumni office we went about getting donations and i was very pleased that the faculty the staff especially the pioneer faculty and the pioneer staff and the pioneer students and, and the pioneer alumni we all chipped in and we achieved the goal and i hope the alumni scholarship fund still exists today because that's something that i was very proud to start and that was also for me a very big learning experience. I remember I was doing this after graduation as an alumni. So I was working full-time and I was doing this. Uh, and it, it, was just, it was just phenomenal experience again. Awesome, awesome. And talking of graduating and going on to work, if my memory serves me well, you went on to work at APL and you even became the executive assistant to the CEO, right? Uh, yeah, that's right. I worked at um, Tell us APL. about your early work experience then. Sure. So I graduated, I think I had eight job offers. I was thinking, which I, one of them was for the workforce hey, wait, development. Repeat that. Repeat that for everybody to hear. You had how many job offers? I, I had eight job offers. Eight job offers. Graduating from the pioneer batch of a university, which everybody in town, including your best friends from junior college, said nobody may recognize this place they may question and they may you know uh, will how will, how easy how difficult will it be for you to get jobs and so on and so forth correct or not right four four years later you had eight job offers yeah yeah I'm, i i guess i was lucky and, and many of my classmates were in the same boat where they had multiple job offers um, right, i right. think you, you're right somehow smu had created a name for itself <laughs> as that group of loud, noisy, uh, <laughs> you can't you guys did it. <laughs> ignore us. You can't ignore us. We're out here. Hire us. So, um, so I graduated. I had eight offers and I didn't take the offer that paid the most. In fact, I think the offer that paid the most was from the WDA, the Workforce Development Authority. Great organization. Uh, they paid great salary. Uh, but I chose APL also known as NOL, Neptune Orient Lines, um, because they were the only offer that promised me an overseas stint. I was to join the management trainee program, spend one year being rotated around in different departments in Singapore, and then have a one year overseas stint. And, and so I took that job because I wanted to 
do that overseas experience. I remember um, I joined this in uh, APL um, and, and at the end of the one year, they said, okay, you've got a couple of options. You can go to Thailand, you can go to Vietnam, you can go to um, other parts of Southeast Asia. And I said, no, 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 I want to go to India. <laughs> and they said, we don't have an opportunity in India for you. We have an office, um, but, but there's nothing for an intern. Uh, sorry, not intern, nothing for a management trainee to do. So I actually created my own job in India by speaking to the head of business development there. And him and I, we worked out something where I would be able to contribute while in India. So we created this opportunity. I moved to India. I spent a year there. Best time ever. I love Bombay. I love India. Um, and I learned so much. I made such a great network as well. So, so that was NOL. And, and you're right. I, I wasn't really the executive assistant um, to the CEO. I was the special assistant to the CEO. Okay. I, I created the title myself. So my, my, my memory still works, but like sometimes <laughs> it slips up, I guess. <laughs> no, no, that most people think executive assistant. Um, but I created the title because the CEO <laughs> at the time, he said, look, I want to hire you to be in my office to work with me. Um, that is and when you came back from Mumbai, right? Yeah. So when I came back from India, reluctantly, I wanted to stay there. Um, but they created an amazing role for me in Singapore. They said, you will work directly for the president of our logistics arm. It's a billion dollar logistics arm. You will report to the president and you will help him build business plan for his unit. I was there for only six months before the group CEO, the president's boss, the one who runs the entire company said, I want you to join me and work in my office. Now, I'll be very honest. That one year I worked in the group CEO's office, I wasn't doing major work in terms of like, high level, high profile, making decisions. No, I was involved in doing minutes for the CEO at all of his chief level meetings. But no matter how small the role was, I learned a lot. Because can you imagine a young 20 something year old guy being invited to the top decision-making meetings of a publicly listed company with 10,000 staff in 100 offices globally. And being in that room, when the group CEO sits with the head of logistics, the head of shipping, the CHRO, the CFO, sitting in that room, I was just taking minutes, but I was observing, I was learning, I was listening, I was watching as these people decided on billion dollar decisions, which ship to buy, which strategy to adopt, which shipping route to go, all of these things. And I had to listen very carefully because I had to write the notes. I was in every single C-level meeting of the CEO. I accompanied him in the board, in the C-level. And that one year was for me, my transformation from, um, you know, a, a very, very uh, novice in the leadership field to something more of an experienced person in the leadership field. Now, at that time, I hadn't actually led anyone in my career as yet, but I had learned how these people do it. And, and so that was brilliant. Uh, absolutely brilliant experience at NOL. And then I left to do my uh, MBA. Right, right. So um, looking back, how has SMU education helped you in your professional and personal growth? I think I owe a lot of my success in my career to SMU, a lot. I have been through now three universities. I've done my degree, bachelor's at SMU. 
I did a master's at um, the number one ranked university in the world, uh, business school in the world. And now I'm doing my doctor of education at one of the top 10 graduate education schools in the US. You can, you can name them, the other two also, it's okay. Sure, <laughs> I, I did my MBA at INSEAD right. and I'm doing my doctor of education at NYU. Um, great institutions, phenomenal. But where I came to be, where I transformed, where I picked up the skills that allowed me to get into those future universities, those future institutions, was SMU. Right. At SMU, I learned about the power of communication. I learned the power of negotiation, of, of, of really, and, and this is one of the things I did while at SMU, apart from all those activities I shared with you, I made it a point in every class to pick a different group to work with. Now, all my classmates didn't do that. A lot of my classmates would say, hey, you and I, we are good friends. We did very well in this uh, project. Next class, same project, same team. Oh, done, set, everything all set. So they go through the whole university with the same group of people, the same experiences because they work well together. They know how to do it. They've got it all down to the T. Who's gonna present, who's gonna do the research, who's gonna write. I didn't do that. I made it a point to join different groups, different people, completely uh, different personalities for me sometimes, uh, sometimes completely people I didn't like, but I forced myself to do it because I wanted to gain that knowledge, that experience, that ability to work with multiple types of people, to see different lenses, to see different perspectives. It wasn't easy, but again, I wasn't so concerned about my grades. <laughs> Right. No, I, 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 I perfectly understand because I face this um, every semester, but, you know, um, somehow uh, my TAs have, uh, you know, have also come on board with the idea and uh, nowadays they drive it themselves saying that uh, uh, for my course, uh, that they should have diverse uh, groups uh, and uh, so, so TAs are my former students, right? Teaching assistants are my former students. So, so they themselves lead this thing saying that like, hey, we should have mixed groups. We should have, uh, uh, you know, we should help them form the groups. And uh, yes, we also had hesitation, but then, you know, it kind of was a broader learning experience than, than, than just to getting the project done exactly for, for the reasons you said. And I've had, uh, I guess most of them have, uh, uh, you know, sort of worked and learned from that experience, but I've also had uh, uh, amusing experiences which relate to, that's why I'm narrating this, uh, to relating to what you said. Some of them uh, actually at the start of the course, when the groups were formed, Occasionally it has happened. It doesn't happen in recent uh, years. Uh, in some of the previous years, some of the students, a group of two or three, would just drop the course. And uh, they would tell my TAs, no, we, we came to the course so that we could be in the group together. And uh, once we, you know, <laughs> and uh, once we, you know, like you guys put us in different groups, we, you know, during the period when we can add and drop courses, we, we did that. And then in the first three weeks, and so, so we are leaving. So, <laughs> so my TAs would mention that like, hey, these guys were, came in as a pair or as a trio and then, you know, and left and so on. But like, I'm so glad that, that you mentioned that like, that helped you later in your career to work with a diverse um, group of people, which is exactly what happens in a workplace, right? You don't choose your uh, people to work yeah, with, right? Exactly. Yeah, you don't choose your people that you work with, not always. 
um, unless you manage them yeah. and you can fire them and hire new ones. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated to hear that even now th these stories still exist of people who want to be in the same group. I think get out there and be vulnerable. Go meet in a um, meet with and different. This, this is a safe environment to do it, right? Relatively safe environment to to, to do it. And, yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. That's yeah, absolutely. Awesome. And you know, anything else you wanted to add, which which got you know, when, when I spoke. I mean, going back to the question, SMU for me was the truly most transformative educational experience I've ever had. And this is speaking from someone who's come and done many different um, roles, you know, educational qualifications and done a lot of uh, continuous learning throughout my life. Right. Um, right. And, you know, you mentioned teaching assistants and <laughs> I don't know if you know this, I was the first teaching assistant ever at SMU, the first. <laughs> Ever. Well, I didn't know that part of you. I know most of the other things because we have interacted, uh, you know, regularly over the years. And that's one great quality of Nadir. The other students should should learn from alumni that he keeps in touch, right? <laughs> I make it a point, like, like I, you know, we've been in touch for how many years now? I'm, I'm still in touch with the people, the person I told you at my, my first internship, SD Logistics, the head yeah. of HR and strategy. I am still in touch with them today. I'm still in right. touch with a lot of my professors from the Pioneer Batch, uh, only because I respect them so much. I learn every time I meet them. They're right. like beacons of wisdom. And I, I, I thank them so much for everything that they've done, um, for the trust and support that they gave me. I mean, they didn't have to choose me as the first teaching assistant or the research assistant or whatever, but they did. I, my grades were spectacularly bad. Um, <laughs> It's yes. okay. You don't have to confess, but it's okay. But yeah, looking good. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've accomplished a lot more um, than yeah, exactly. people of my grade that's, would have normally that's done. That's why you're special, and that's what a lot of people have to learn from, that it's not all about uh, uh, grades. It's the learning experience that you can take from the university, uh, you know, the diverse set of opportunities that it offers, right? Yeah. People need to learn to fail. They need to learn to, to accept failure. You know, you can't succeed until you've um, experienced uh, what failure is, because then when you taste success, um, it, it, it's all the more sweeter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, now that a uh, little bit, you know, more, more personal, I can say, um, I remember meeting your father in a public event. I mean, I didn't know him, but we just, uh, you know. Like you said, like you used to go and meet up people. I also have a similar habit, and you just went around, you know, meeting people in the room. And uh, so I spoke to him. He, when he mentioned his surname, so I, I asked, and he said, like, "Oh, you're from SMU." Uh, I said, "Yes," and I asked this from his surname and all that. And I was like, "Do you have children in SMU? Do you is Nader? You know?" He said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah Nader is my son." And then, then he mentioned that Nader is a big fan of SMU. He encouraged his siblings to go there. And uh, I know, you know, one of your younger brother and younger sister studied in SMU. Who else from your family studied in SMU or extended family? No, it's just uh, just my younger brother and sister who uh, attended SMU, and I'm very glad they did. I don't think SMU is a school for everybody. And I think right. that even if it is for even if it is for you, I think it's what you do in the school that makes the experience. So Absolutely. I'm very glad that both my brother and sister put a lot of energy into doing things that I did as well in SMU. They participated in a lot of clubs and associations. Unfortunate for them, they couldn't start any of them because we already had started. My dad <laughs> had already got everything in place. 
<laughs> so no, by the time they came, we just started. But you're right; like a lot of things by their time, I think had already settled. Down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm very, very grateful to my father for his support. You know, at that time, nobody had heard of SMU. Can you imagine how my parents must have thought? You know, True. you've just been accepted into NUS Engineering, and my father has uh, two engineering degrees. And and obviously, you know, he would have liked <laughs> that I joined engineering, following in his footsteps at a very established university. Um, but he supported me fully. My parents fully supported my decision to do SMU, despite the fact that had no reputation, unheard of, um, big risk, um, but they supported it. And I'm so grateful for that because um, if not for that support, um, and again, I had to rely on my parents to pay me through the university days. Um, so I'm obviously very thankful to them for the, the support. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. I think uh, that's a um, excellent pl place to you know bring this uh, discussion to to an, to an end. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, having this conversation with you. Uh, uh, you know, it's it's great experiences from which uh, the subsequent generations and subsequent batches of SMU students can can learn from and. Uh, you know, it is to me, it's a great start to the series. And I hope that like uh, your batchmates uh, you know, and, and subsequent batches would come back and share their uh, you know, SMU uh, experiences as well as post SMU experiences so that like, you know, their junior batches can learn from that. And, uh, you know, what are the things to take away from the university? What are the things to take away from internship, from your uh, first few jobs and so on and so forth. So thank you very much, Nadir. You're most welcome, Venkat. It was quite a, quite a nostalgic uh, trip down memory lane for me, this uh, whole interview. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us in yet another episode of Move Conversations. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the Move Conversations YouTube channel and press the bell icon to get notifications of new episodes. Thank you very much. Till I see you in the next episode. Thank you very much. Have a great day.